This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let us begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, you repeatedly show yourself to be an amazing Lord with amazing power and love. Today, remind us that your miracles are intended not only to amaze us, but especially to teach us about who you are and what it means for us in this life and in the life to come. This morning, Lord Jesus, you be the teacher and make us diligent learners. Amen. Miracles. One week ago, the focus was on the miracle of God in creating life, physical and spiritual life. This day, the miracle of preserving life, physical and spiritual life. Our primary focus is going to be on the famous feeding of the 5,000. Of all of the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one is often defined as unique in this way, that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Holy Spirit isn't shy about <laughs> impressing upon us an account that he wants us to know and remember. Our focal point today is going to be primarily on John's account, John chapter 6. And uh, let's begin by reading the opening few verses, which gives us the context and teaches us some important truths right away. John chapter 6, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the Jewish Passover festival was near. As you keep looking at those words, you begin to understand how the great event and the, the stage was set for the miracle. Jesus had been on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee in the uh, city of Capernaum, uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and he was performing all kinds of healing miracles, which really caught people's attention. But then Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and went from the western shore to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the people followed him, not in boats. They ran, they walked a multitude of them. We don't know how many exactly. We are told that explicitly there were 5,000 adult men. That doesn't count the women. 
That doesn't count whatever children were present. A conservative estimate would be eight to 10 or to 12,000 people. But there they were, coming over the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's a minimum of a four mile walk, and it may have been more because in the other accounts, we're told that Jesus very specifically and purposely led them to a remote place. And by the time they all got together, it was late in the day. Now, we're told here also that the uh, Passover festival was very near. That gives us a calendar date. This was at the very, very end of the month of March, or it was very, very early in the month of April. And in that part of the country, <clears throat> somewhat unlike Wisconsin, spring had already sprung and it was warm, and the grass was green and lush. And that's important later on when we are told that Jesus had them sit down on the grass. Well, there's the basic context. But there's a couple more things that we really should know about these particular people. In the account, the parallel account in Mark's gospel, we are told this. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So they be he began teaching them many things. They were a needy multitude, a needy crowd. And in this particular section of scripture, the emphasis is on their physical needs. They were getting hungry. That was a long day already, but they also had spiritual needs. Notice again, back in the uh, account here, the great crowd of people followed Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. What was their primary focus? <laughs> or as they began to behave themselves, what was basically their exclusive focus? on Jesus as the miracle worker. He was the one that could give blind people the ability to see again. He was the one that could give crippled people the ability to get up and walk. He was the one that even on occasion could take dead people and give them physical life again. Whatever the sickness, whatever the disease, Jesus was capable of healing. And that is what they were focusing on. But there's one thing that they were forgetting. Notice the word that's used. It isn't the word miracle. It's the signs that Jesus was performing. That is a very wonderful and specific word used to describe miracles, but it means pointers. Jesus was doing all of this as pointers, very important guides to the real full identity of who he was and what he was doing in their midst. It was pointing them to the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah, the anointed one, God's appointed savior of the entire world, the one who could live on their behalf and die on their behalf and earn for them the full and free forgiveness of sins. 
It was pointing to him, but they weren't catching that message. They were just catching the physical healings. It was a spiritual neediness. It was an immaturity, if you will. And that's the first thing that we want to note here. The first profound truth that we want to start with is that the people, like us, are needy in body and soul, physically and spiritually. Yeah, like us. I seriously doubt if I have to say an awful lot about you are needy people. I'm with you 100%. Just a brief review of those kinds of news stories and newspapers and, 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 and media broadcasts. They all have a scary part to them, don't they? We're talking death by gunfire uh, because you knocked on the wrong door, because you accidentally drove up the wrong driveway, or because someone didn't like the way that you handled your car on the highway and road rage results. We're talking about risks to bodily life that are to a degree so out of our control. We haven't even gotten to natural disasters that Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 24, earthquakes and famines and pestilence. And we could add hurricanes and cyclones and tornadoes, too much rain, flooding, too little rain, drought. We can talk about inflation, which puts the price of groceries, basic housing, at risk of being out of range for a lot of people with their physical, normal needs. We are creatures. We are mortal creatures. And we know that full well, even though we don't want to dwell upon it moment after moment. But it's the truth. And spiritually, yeah, we're not going to point the finger and laugh at those people for looking at Jesus only as the miracle worker. Don't you get up just like I do every single day? And you have every genuine intention of being the person that God has called you to be. To show love for him in practical ways and to show love for your neighbor in practical ways. And then comes the moment when it's time for you to get in bed and go to sleep again. And how has it turned out? <laughs> this isn't pretty. We haven't served our, our creator and savior and our neighbor all that consistently because me-firstism rose to the top again. Neediness. That's what we have. Okay, it's time to shift our attention from ourselves and the crowd to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go back to John chapter 6, and we continue reading. When Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and that were left over by those who had eaten. What's the first thing that Jesus did? He gave the disciples a spiritual test. He was still in the teaching mode, and he wanted to remind them that there was room for growth in their spiritual lives as his disciples. In this particular account in John, he has him talking to Philip, and then we have Andrew, Peter's brother, saying something. But if you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, we make it very clear that he was really at the same time talking with the other disciples, and the other disciples were giving him feedback as well. <laughs> and what distinctive feedback. Oi, vey, you, how are we gonna feed these people? We got thousands and thousands of people here. We're in a remote place. There's no fast food places. There's not even slow food places. We can't do this. And by, it takes over a half of a year's wages to be able to feed. If you just give a bite to everybody. Now, right now in the state of Wisconsin, the federal figures say that the median salary for a year is between fifty-nine and sixty thousand dollars. So, basically, translating what they said into today's figures, we would need thirty-five to forty thousand dollars to take care of this crowd, even barely. Yeah. They needed some growth. The panic buttons were being created and pushed very rapidly. And Jesus knew it. He knew that he had set before them something that was utterly, completely impossible for any human being to resolve quickly. Of course it was. And that was just the point. He was training them so that more and more they would see that there's a far better way of responding for example, we can't handle this, Lord. You might as well ask us to swim the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. It's not going to happen. But you, Lord, you are the one we look to. You who heal bodies. You who raise the dead. You who give commands 
that the wind and the waves should obey you, and they do. You are capable. That is faith talking, not panic. And that's how the Lord Jesus began. And then he fed the crowd. We don't know how. We don't know whether the food was multiplied as Jesus was breaking the bread after giving thanks to the Heavenly Father and distributed that to the disciples. We don't know if it happened when the disciples were taking it to the groups of 150 people. We don't know if it was when these people in the multitude sitting on the grass were handing it to one another. The how, we don't know. The what that happened is quite clear. God was at work. And the people ate until they were filled. This was no airline meal. This, as one writer said, you can almost hear the burps from the crowd as they were finishing that meal. More than enough. And that is what he accomplished. But the account is written so simply you don't have a multiplication of what we would call adjectives and adverbs and wow words. It's simply stated. This is God at work. And for him, it was no challenge. It will never be a challenge for him to take care of the creatures that he has created. According to his will, on his timetable, the creator of life is also the preserver of life. And that, of course, is the second profound truth that we want to state and remember. Not only are we human creatures needy in body and soul, physically and spiritually, but Jesus knows our human needs and he supplies what we need physically and spiritually. And throughout Scripture, he makes a big deal out of that. Our sicknesses... Heart disease, cancer, viruses, pestilence, they're his tools. They really are. He establishes those in our lives of his creatures for his purposes. And following his timetable and his will for me, for you individually, he will use them. And this is something that we forget so much. Right now, of course, when we read our newspapers or we listen to newscasts, we know that there's oh, brutal debates going on. And there are, it is a struggle of people at each other Snarly is just a mild word for it. Yeah, we're talking about the, the pro-life against the pro-choice, and we're talking about abortion. We're also just talking about, yeah, road rage. We're talking about gun control. We're talking about the lack of social awareness of treating other people the way you want to be treated. And of course, the breakdown always begins and basically always ends with the same problem. God, 
the creator and preserver, is not looked to as the one to supply our needs or the needs of our neighbor, but it's me firstism. And I can even drag God into that conversation my way. God gave me my body. God gave me my body. And I can do with my body whatever I want to do. I can take another person's life, born or unborn, because I have a body that's mine. What am I forgetting? Not only that I'm a creature rather than a creator, but I'm not putting my confidence in the Lord to preserve, to use his tools for his purposes, for myself and for the other people. And I forfeit a lot of comfort, and I make a lot of problems for myself and for others. Well, let's go to the conclusion of this text. Something very remarkable and wonderful and something not so wonderful. The closing verses. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Did you notice the beautiful first statement that they make? It is fantastically wonderful. While Jesus was performing this miracle, their minds seemed to go back to the Old Testament that they all learned in youth to the time of Moses, when through Moses, the Lord fed the multitude with manna on a daily basis. And there, this Moses wrote to them, <laughs> you think you've seen something wonderful, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. That's where Moses said, the Lord your God shall raise up unto you and for you a prophet like me. And this multitude on the shores of Galilee, they seem to remember, maybe this is the prophet. This must be the one that was promised. And they all understood that that was a messianic promise, that this is the way the Savior of the world would show his credentials so that they would follow him and understand that he's here on earth for their spiritual well-being also. But that's where this wonderful statement kind of lost its luster right away, and we're told clearly, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They didn't use the pointer to say, look at the Savior Look at the forgiveness of sins. This is the person that's going to bring that about. You want life? How about eternal life? Forever and ever and ever in God's gracious presence. No, that wasn't their focus. It was the full stomachs. Jesus, later on in this same chapter, and by the way, there's a long conversation there that I'd invite you and encourage you to take a look at. See, this is John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. You know how many verses there are in chapter 6 of John? <laughs> 70. 
It keeps going, and it's all a conversation between Jesus and the people to clarify who he was, to clarify why he did what he did, and where they should place the priority. And he spoke about himself as the bread from heaven, which if they eat of him, his body, his blood, if by faith they put their confidence in him, they will live forever. We are told here, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because of the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He was pointing them in this long discussion to priorities, put the soul first, and he'll take care of the body his way for his purposes as well. And that, of course, brings us to the third profound truth that I want you to take home with you. Jesus also teaches us to put spiritual needs higher than physical needs, knowing that he, Jesus, will meet all needs with his love, his wisdom, and his power. And I guess it's a fair question to ask, okay, what, what, what does this look like in an ordinary Christian's life? And I'm going to use one example. It's one that I've known about for years. It's one that uh, has impressed me, still does. About 300 years ago, a very faithful student of Scripture who became a very faithful and popular teacher of Scripture and a writer of commentary that is still being used by millions worldwide today gave me an example. His name was Matthew Henry. And one day, Matthew Henry, on the street, was mugged and robbed of every bit of money and every valuable that he had on himself. And when he got home, beaten and bruised and with nothing left in his pockets, he sat down and wrote something in his personal diary. And I think that's important. He's not talking to other people. He's not, you know, he's, he's talking to himself and his Lord in his personal diary. And here is what he wrote after being beaten, robbed, mugged. Let me be thankful were his first words that he wrote down. Let me be thankful. Whoa, that's, that's different. But then he gives reasons. First, that I had never been robbed before. He remembered divine providence and that divine providence had given him so much for so long Thank you, Lord. Even though today wasn't my best, <laughs> thank you. Second, although they took my money, they didn't take my life. The Lord put limitations on this act, and I'm still able to serve him and to serve my neighbor full speed ahead. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, and that's where I am really impressed with Matthew Henry. 
First, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. He prized his spiritual life and the value system that the Father had given to him through Jesus Christ. He valued the work of the Holy Spirit that would use him for good rather than evil purposes. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, may we do the same by God's grace and mercy for the preserver of physical and spiritual life. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us that we are needy creatures who have in you a strong and loving creator and preserver. Keep our main focus on you rather than on ourselves, on your mighty, merciful kindness that will meet our needs according to your wise will. And teach us throughout life to keep the health of our souls the highest priority, knowing that our bodies and physical well-being will also be cared for by you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.